Welcome to the uh, Grazia Plena video, uh, podcast and video presentation of a series on recovery issues. Uh, and when we talk about recovery, we're talking about not just addictions, but also recovery from mental illnesses, recovery from uh, humiliations, afflictions of all types. We're talking about uh, marriage and family problems, recovery from those things, really talking about recovery in a very broad sense. And in fact, um, we could even think of recovery as being the case, the situation for all Christians, those who follow Christ. Uh, because of our human nature, we are a created, fallen, and redeemed. And so you, you could say, you know, in our in our recovery of, uh, you know, avoiding sinfulness and and sanct- uh, living a life of uh, increasing sanctification, that was kind of a recovery process for us. And so um, when you think of recovery issues, think not just of um, addictions, which is kind of usual association of recovery, but uh, in a much more broad sense. And so probably all of us could potentially benefit from thinking of these recovery issues. Um, today's session is focusing on stigma and shame. Uh, We're going to take a look at those today, Um, but as we always do, uh, we will begin with a few moments of stillness and quiet because uh, this is how God speaks to us in the stillness and the quiet in our hearts, Um, and and so it's because this world is so busy, so noisy, it's really helpful for us uh, to clear away some space to Uh, let things that are preoccupying us and bothering us and disturbing us to allow those things to take aside uh, for for a few moments so that we can focus on these recovery topics uh, and let the Lord speak to us through this presentation possibly. And and so we have to put away anything that's distracting us, anything that's creating doubts in our mind and discouragement. We'll let those slip away for now. And we do that with a beautiful opening prayer. But first, a few moments of stillness and quiet, and then we'll uh, recite the opening prayer. So if you're watching on the YouTube video, you can follow along on the screen with us on this opening prayer. If you're listening on podcast, then we just invite you to to listen and and follow along mentally. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Holy Spirit, we call upon you now to join us in this presentation in a special way. We ask for your wisdom and your healing. Encourage and inspire us with clear thinking, understanding, and truth and fill us with the deep and satisfying fire of your love. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Very good. So um, if you're listening on podcast, uh, welcome. Great to have you with us. Uh, If this is your first time, we're very happy to have you. Um, We try to put out a new episode in this series every Thursday evening, Friday morning, so that it might be available for you on the weekend. 
we record it as a YouTube video, uh, but also as a podcast. Some people prefer to watch the YouTube and they can see the slides. Uh, they can see my face in a tiny little box in the corner. <laughs> it's almost, you can't even see it. Uh, that's okay. Um, or other people like to listen to the podcast, which is the audio only portion. Um, generally, we record these at the same time, so there's a perfect match between the audio that you hear on the YouTube and the audio that you hear on the podcast. Um, we had a technical difficulty for this this particular uh, episode, and so um, they're almost the same, but they might vary slightly here and there because we're re-recording the audio right now. Um, you can find the audio-only podcast. It's called Encounter with Dr. Ken. Um, you know you have the right one. You see the Grazia Plana pickup truck with Grazia Plana on the side of it. Um, um, and then the YouTube channel is um, Dr. Ken Grazia Plana. You can search it up. Um, feel free to subscribe to both of these uh, if you wish. The, uh, the audio-only podcast is available on several different platforms, Anchor, Breaker, uh, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Spotify. So there's a variety of different ones. If you seem to have a particular podcast platform that you like, then uh, maybe you'll find us there, and we're we're uh, happy to have you follow along with us each week. Uh, in the previous meeting, the last episode, uh, which if you're listening to the podcast, would have been a couple of weeks ago, uh, we covered codependency issues, and we looked at this pop psychology term that's become very casually thrown around, codependency. Um, we started by examining the concern that uh, uh, that Christ and others like St. Paul, uh, they talk about the church and, and those following Christ is very close in, in terms of even being one body. And so we began to explore um, this this notion of, well, you know, if, if St. Paul is telling us that we're one body, then how, how can we be too worried about codependency? You know, we're, we're kind of curious about that. Um, but we looked at the idea, the development of this concept of codependence, which did come from the recovery community and then uh, became adopted over into the mental health community. Uh, treatment community as well. Uh, so we, we looked at how it originated, how it came to be, uh, and then we examined the difference between several uh, similarly sounding terms. So dependency, independence, codependency, and interdependence. We looked at, at these different terms, what they are, um, what might be healthy, what might be an unhealthy aspect of our current culture, and so forth. Uh, we talked about codependence as an, an emotional boundary problem. Uh, we used a formal definition from the famous Claudia Black, a uh, social worker in, in Arizona who's uh, been working in the recovery uh, world for addiction since, for such a long time and has written on codependence. Um, and we talked about different resources like Claudia Black's book on codependence and other books like Henry Cloud's book on healthy boundaries to help us work on these things and and uh, and reduce codependence and increase interdependence, which is a healthy way of being together in intimacy. But today, today we're going to look at stigma and shame. And 
maybe there will be some benefit for you in this. Um, so as we start thinking about stigma and shame, um, I want to direct your uh, your your attention to an annual conference, an international annual conference that's uh, that was sponsored by the Pontifical Council for Pastoral Assistance to Healthcare Workers um, in Rome. And uh, Pope John Paul II, Saint John Paul II, uh, convened this conference and uh, interacted with those attending the conference. In 1996 was the 11th annual international conference. And so each, each year uh, they tackled a theme or a problem area to consider. And as, as you remember, uh, Pope John Paul II, St. John Paul II, was really a great philosopher and theologian. And so he thought very deeply about things. And so uh, the topic that they tackled in 1996 was um, this question, do you say, do we say in every case that all of us, even those with a mental illness, are created in the image of God? Are they always? Are we always? And again, you know, for our purposes, you might expand this. Do we say that those of us that that uh, have a mental illness and addiction, marriage and family problems, those of us in spiritual distress, are all of us created in the image of God? And and you might uh, consider that sometimes we suffer so badly. Sometimes our illnesses like cancer or other terrible afflictions, uh, mental illness like schizophrenia, these you know horrible addictions to maybe heroin. You, you would look at the person that's afflicted by these things and you would say, wow, is that, is that person made in the image of God? You can hardly recognize them as a human being because of their affliction. Um, what is, uh, what is the status of this person? And so, uh, Pope John Paul II, St. John Paul II says yes. Uh, of course, the answer is yes, always, even these, even these uh, brothers and sisters among us. Even we, when we fall into terrible, desperate illness and straits and afflictions, we're still, we still need to think of ourselves as created in the image of God, always. And listen to this wonderful, beautiful quote um, that I have, I have it on screen in the YouTube video, but I want to read it to you here if you're just listening. Here's what he says. Uh, this is from his encyclical letter, Veritatis Splendor. The church looks on these persons with special concern as she looks on any other human being affected by illness. Instructed by the divine teacher's words, she believes that man made in the image of the creator, redeemed by the blood of Christ and made holy by the presence of the Holy Spirit, has as the ultimate purpose of his or her life to live for the praise of God's glory, striving to make each of his actions reflect the splendor of that glory. What a beautiful quote uh, that the church looks on those of us with terrible sicknesses and you know, mental, spiritual, psychological, emotional. The church looks on us with special concern uh, and, that, and that wants to remind us that 
all of us are made in the image of the creator. No, no matter how far down we've gone, how difficult our struggles might be, how trapped in addiction we might be, or, or how enslaved to sin we might seem, um, that we're still made in the image of God. We shouldn't forget that. And, and we seek the healing that we need so that we can live for the praise of God's glory and to reflect the splendor of God's glory. What a beautiful, wonderful quote. Now, what happens is that we forget this. And unfortunately, many of us with mental illnesses, addictions, terrible marriage and family problems and divisions and conflict, many of us feel cut off from society, disenfranchised, marginalized uh, by society, like we're pushed out of the way that we're seen as weak and worthless, you know? Uh, sometimes society does that to us, the culture does that to us, makes us isolated. But sometimes we do that to our own self. Sometimes it's us, our, it's we, ourselves, that put us on the sidelines, that feel like we don't belong, that we can't participate, that we have nothing to offer. Um, and so we end up marginalized by our own thoughts and beliefs about ourselves, by our own discouragement, and perhaps even encouraged to be off to the side, pushed to the side because of the, of the malicious work of the evil one that says, oh, you don't have anything to offer, get over there, get out of the way. Um, and so sometimes uh, society pushes us over there. Sometimes our own doubts push us over there. Sometimes the evil one accuses us and pushes us over there. So let's think of stigma. Stigma is a mark of disgrace associated with a certain circumstance. That's, I think, a good definition for our purposes. Stigma is a mark of disgrace associated with a certain circumstance. Sometimes placed on us by another person, sometimes self-inflicted, uh, and sometimes uh, through an act of discouragement and accusation of the evil one. And I would submit to you that if we're weighed down, if we're burdened by stigma or shame, we may have difficulty living a life full of grace, living that splendor, um, living in a way of reflecting God's glory. Of course, it makes sense that that might be challenging for us. Um, I, I love this beautiful picture that you can see in the YouTube video. You can find it on the internet. Um, it's a painting by Caravaggio called The Incredulity of St. Thomas. And in this picture, you see several apostles, including St. Thomas, looking very intently at the body of Christ. Um, this is noted in the Gospels after the resurrection that, that Jesus appeared to the twelve uh, to the uh, uh, apostles that Thomas wasn't there the first time, and so he didn't believe that Christ had appeared, that Christ had resurrected from the dead. Uh, and so uh, the, when Christ comes to meet with the disciples again, Thomas is there and Jesus invites him to inspect his wounds, these marks of stigma. And in this beautiful painting by Caravaggio, you see Thomas uh, sticking his finger into the wound in the side of Christ. In fact, Jesus is guiding his hand uh, to note, to look carefully at this mark of stigma. The crucifixion as an execution in the Roman times is one of the most horrible 
humiliating, degrading ex styles of execution um, in history, not just not just in the old days, but in history. I mean, you think about now we have lethal injections, unfortunately, where we uh, where we execute uh, criminals. Um, but that's nothing compared to the execution of Christ on the cross, horribly, horribly degrading, humiliating, great suffering. And so the wounds of Christ, which continued to remain on his body after the resurrection, uh, are there to remind us of the stigma that he carried for us. In fact, because there are multiple wounds, we call them the stigmata um, and some some of us uh, great saints, Padre Pio, St. Francis of Assisi, uh, these great saints have carried the wounds of Christ as a way of reflecting his suffering and his glory uh, and to help people understand the importance of, Christ, of Christ's suffering for our sins uh, and redeeming us in that beautiful way. Stigma, stigmata. So let's think of stigma as a label something that we may attach to our identity, unfortunately. Uh, probably not a good thing, but it does happen to us. Somebody places this on us or we place it on ourselves. We attach it to our identity. For example, uh, the, the phrase, I am an addict, or somebody may accuse us and say, you're just a drunk, you're an addict. Uh, you'll never get better, you know, something like that. That's, what, that's who you are. Um, and that's a, a, a terribly painful thing. It's a rejection. It's, it's degrading. It's meant to be degrading. Um, now, I have to say that in the 12-step community, uh, there is a, a tradition of introducing, of each person introducing themselves, even though it's anonymous, uh, that people will introduce themselves at a 12-step meeting at the beginning uh, they'll say, uh, my name is Ken, I'm an alcoholic, or I'm a recovering alcoholic. Uh, you know, my name is Joe, I'm a recovering porn addict. So people introduce themselves in this way, and you might say, well, aren't they putting a label? Aren't they attaching this stigma to their identity? And what I would submit to you is, is that it is an act of humility for them to introduce themselves in this way, uh, but it's also a way of saying, hey, I'm part of this group. Um, as 10, 10 or 12 or 20 or 30 people go around the room saying, I'm an alcoholic, I'm an, alco I'm an alcoholic, then you get the picture of, hey, we're all in this together. We all belong together. We have this same affliction together. And so I would say in that, in that sense, um, being able to say, I am Ken, I'm a recovering alcoholic is, is a good thing. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily mean that I have to attach that label to myself as as my core identity. Uh, here is another example of a label that we might attach to our identity. Somebody might say about that guy over there, that guy's crazy, or you're so crazy. Or I might say, I I feel crazy. I think I'm crazy. Uh, and again, that's, that's uh, something that we begin to associate with our identity, and so we carry a stigma about that, and we think, wow, there's something seriously wrong with me um, to, to believe that about myself or have other people tell me about myself. Um, here's another one. I'm a convicted felon. I'm a felon. 
Uh, and so, you know, you apply to work at a job or you apply at an apartment and they say, oh, you're a felon. Sorry, you can't work here. Or you're a felon. You can't live here. And so you get a sense of uh, the label being a, a, a attached to a, a person who's been in prison uh, because of a crime. And, and so that label carries a stigma and then they are, they are not able to participate in society like others might. Uh, and it carries a heavy burden for them. Uh, here's another one. I am a prostitute. Um, you know, imagine that that woman uh, caught in adultery. If if she was a prostitute, uh, perhaps you know, imagine the shame, the great shame she carried, the stigma that was attached to her. Uh, is really really quite a horrible thing. Um, there's an implication of of these issues. Really, really being permanent. So, if it's a label attached to your identity, then you have a sense of, wow, this is this is something that um, is going to be uh, connected to me. I'll never get rid of it, and um, you know, I'll have to I'll have to uh, just hold on to this for the rest of my life. Uh, there's no way for me to ever get away from it, right? And so, um, uh, you know, it's it's just a a horrible thing. Um, so uh, there's this implication of being permanent. It carries a heavy weight. There's an aspect of self-accusation and self-rejection. And there can even be a kind of an anger at ourself. You know, I'm angry at myself because I'm depressed, or I'm angry at myself because I have this addiction, or I'm angry at myself because uh, I've got this um, uh, marriage problem, you know, that I'm struggling with. Um, uh, and so we, we carry that burden with us. And, and then the anger kind of even becomes uh, a greater problem as well. Um, all of this leads to being isolated, which is unhealthy for us. We're meant to be connected with others. It leads to anxiety and fear, leads to despair, and then in the, those terrible situations, um, it can lead to shame, of course, right? So let's talk about shame. Uh, shame is, is a distressing and heavy feeling about ourself. Um, some people say, well, shame can be a helpful thing. Um, but I, you know, I kind of ch want to challenge you on that a little bit. We'll talk about it today. Um, shame is associated with humiliation and embarrassment in front of others, uh, maybe even just all by myself. So it can be imposed on me by myself. I just feel shame after what I did, even though nobody knows about it. Um, or it can be something that I feel ashamed in front of other people. Um, Shame is oft, often initially connected to behavior, um, but then it becomes like part of the identity, part of the sense of self, uh, which is unfortunately a dangerous thing. And I want to differentiate shame from healthy guilt. Um, I think healthy guilt can help us. I think healthy guilt is maybe a work of grace or the Holy Spirit in us so that we recognize that we did something wrong. How many of us um, go make mistakes in this world, and we don't even see it. We can't even recognize it. Um, but sometimes we might say, oh, my gosh, you know, look what I did. 
Um, and that's that's really a good positive thing for us to to say, okay, I did that wrong. Um, and then if we feel some remorse or regret about it, some some uh, some some sense of sorrow over it, that can also be helpful for us. It can lead us to a good change of behavior. Um, let me give you an example. Um, I use this example a lot, actually. So, um, uh, so for, for, let's say I was driving down the street. I come to a stop sign, uh, but I just blow through it. I just go through it. I, I think, oh, there's nobody around. Uh, you know, it's in the middle of the night. I'll just go through the stop sign. Um, and then, you know, I get about, you know, 200 yards away from there. And I think, oh, Ken, that was that was really horrible. You shouldn't have done that. Uh, you should have stopped at the stop sign, even when nobody's looking, even when there's nobody around. Um, you should follow the laws. The, the laws are there for a reason. The laws keep you safe. They keep other people safe. Um, you know, what if you'd crashed somebody or somebody crashed you because you go through the stop sign? So I start to feel some healthy guilt and remorse over that, some sorrow, right? That's good. Because then if I come to the next stop sign, that might help me to recognize, okay, Ken, stop at this stop sign. You messed up the last one. Stop at this one. It's the right thing to do. And so I stop at the stop sign and my healthy guilt has helped me correct my behavior. Thanks be to God. Um, I think this is very different from shame. Shame is uh, a sense of, Ken, you're a horrible person. You're an awful person. Uh, and uh, you pass up stop signs. That's just part of all the terrible things that are about you. Um, and you're worthless and you're no good. And, and it kind of just de deteriorates into that kind of self-loathing, which is not helpful for us. It probably doesn't even help me do better next time because I'm just so discouraged, distraught, depressed. And so shame actually takes me away from changing my behavior. It just leaves me feeling awful about myself. And so shame, kind of like stigma, can become connected, attached to my identity, which is not helpful. And like stigma can have a sense of permanence to it, which is harmful to us. Um, many of the same issues of stigma uh, happen with us in shame. That's why I put them together in the same presentation, um, including anger itself. So uh, we feel shame. We can also be just very frustrated, angry with ourselves, and want to harm ourselves. Um, in the YouTube video, I have an illustration of the shame cycle. This is something that we've talked about in the recovery world for some time. Uh, the idea that, that we go from a particular thought, feeling, or behavior uh, that, that doesn't seem right, that seems like it's wrong, it's a sin, it's an error, it's a mistake or something, it's not good, we do something that's not good, we think it, we have a bad thought, we have a bad feeling, we have a bad behavior. This leads us to embarrassment or humiliation. Um, and then that embarrassment, humiliation, um, causes us to, to isolate ourselves, perhaps be angry with ourselves, be very discouraged, depressed. And so these feelings just grow and grow and grow. Uh, and they're so painful that then we look for some way of self-medication, self-soothing. And, and then the next thing you know, we're doing that behavior again. We're having those thoughts, those, those feelings again. 
that got us into trouble in the first place. And that's when we call it a shame cycle because it goes round and around, doesn't accomplish anything except getting us deeper into the grip of sin and discouragement. Uh, you know, I, I have a drink. I'm trying to stop drinking. I have a drink. Uh, I feel embarrassed, humiliated because I danced at the party and everybody laughed at me. And then they told me the next day. So I feel embarrassed. And so then I don't want to go to the next party because everybody, you know, thinks I'm silly. Uh, I feel frustrated with myself because, you know, I, I wanted to stop drinking, but here I am drinking again. So I feel so awful, discouraged. I feel so bad about myself then I need to medicate that because I feel anxious, depressed, alone, uh, angry. I look for something to self-medicate, and what do I do? I go back to drinking again because alcohol covers that over, right? And so the shame cycle just keeps going. Uh, the important thing is that we can um, intervene in this shame cycle. That's one reason I'm talking with you about it today. Um, is that it's important for us to break this shame cycle in a number of ways. Um, we can break out of this stigma and shame. And it's really important. That's the most important thing for, for us to talk about in this presentation. Um, so I want to uh, talk with you about how we can move from humiliation uh, to humility. Um, and I want to... Uh, I want to read for you uh, from John chapter 8. Uh, and this is a story from the Gospels that I know you're familiar with. But I want you to listen with new ears today in light of this presentation, this topic that we're thinking about stigma and shame. So it says in John chapter 8, um, early in the morning, Jesus arrived again in the temple area and all the people started coming to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and made her stand in the middle. The scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So, Jesus, what do you say? Scribes and Pharisees said this to test Jesus so that they could have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and began to write in the ground with his finger. But when they continued asking him, he straightened up and said to them, Let the one among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. Then Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She replied, no one, sir. Then Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go from now on, do not sin anymore. What a powerful, powerful situation. Notice what it says in the scriptures. The scribes and Pharisees brought a woman and made her stand in the middle. They put her in the middle of the, of, the, of the temple area in front of everybody. Their intent was to humiliate her, to degrade her, uh, and to stigmatize and shame her. And Jesus makes all of them go away 
So she was just alone with him. She was not shamed in front of everybody else. And then he uh, talked with her. He healed her. He removed her shame, her stigma. Uh, he encouraged her to not sin anymore so that she would not be humiliated like that. Uh, he forgave her and restored her. Uh, what a beautiful, wonderful thing for us to, to connect with in this topic of stigma and shame. We can move with God's help from humiliation to humility in the process of recovery. We can form a more accurate, true view of our own self and our identity, not our affliction. In this Gospel of John chapter 8, Jesus helps her to see that she is not the only sinner, that we are all sinners, and that she is actually like everyone else, or everyone else is like her, that she is not so different, and he helps her to see that about herself um, so that she doesn't attach that uh, shame and that stigma to her, her, her view of herself, her identity. Um, we can focus on healthy guilt instead of shame. Jesus says to her, go and sin no more. So he's saying, let your guilt uh, challenge you to be a better woman, a better person, so that you are not in this situation of shame. So he encourages her uh, to not commit the sin again. Uh, we can work on feeling worthy uh, to rejoin the community. Uh, that's an important thing. Um, and so I want to uh, read you another gospel passage. This one uh, is from chapter 8 also, but from Luke. And so listen to this with new ears about stigma and shame. So Jesus and his disciples sailed to the territory of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. He came, when he came ashore, a man from the town was possessed by demons and met him. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes. He did not live in a house, but he lived among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him. In a loud voice, he shouted, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had ordered the unclean spirit to come out of the man. It had taken hold of the man many times and he used to be bound with chains and shackles as a restraint, but he would break his bonds and be driven by the demon into deserted places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? The man replied, Legion, because many demons had entered into him, and they pleaded with him not to order them to depart from the abyss, to the abyss. A herd of many swine was feeding there on the hillside, and they pleaded with Jesus to allow them to enter those swine, and he let them. The demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. Then the swine herds saw what happened. They ran away, reported the incident in the town throughout the countryside. People came out to see what had happened, and when they approached Jesus, they discovered the man from whom demons had come out sitting at his feet. He was clothed 
and in his right mind, and they were seized with fear. Those who witnessed it told them how the, the possessed man had been saved. The entire population of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were seized with great fear. So he got into a boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had come out begged to remain with Jesus, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home, recount what God has done for you. The man went off and proclaimed throughout the whole town what Jesus had done for him. What a fantastic, wonderful, incredible account in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, so first, we have this man who is naked, right? So his embarrassment, his humiliation was uh, exposed to all. That's kind of what happens when you're naked, you're not clothed, you're exposed, everybody sees uh, what you are, who you are. Uh, it says he didn't live in a house, but he lived among the tombs. So this man was truly isolated. He was uh, living in the most unpleasant uh, place you could imagine in the cemetery, right? Uh, what, a what a horrible thing. You know, you would think I'm you know, I'm dead. I'm a lost cause. That's what stigma and shame does to us. Uh, we feel like we belong among the dead, right? Um, we see that uh, this man was bound often with chains and shackles. Uh, and so who would have done that? The people in the community would have done that to him. And and that happens to us with our our addictions, our mental illnesses, our marriage and family problems, our, our spiritual distress. Uh, people want to bind us up and push us out into the cemetery, telling us that we're no good, we're useless. Sometimes we feel like that ourselves. But Jesus uh, drives the shame. Jesus drives the unclean spirits. Uh, Jesus heals this, this tormented man. Uh, restores him to his dignity. It says in the Gospels that that he put clothes on the man. It says the man was sitting clothed at Jesus' feet. Jesus restores his dignity even in the midst of his situation. Um, and then uh, instead of allowing the man to follow him, which is what Jesus often says to people, to follow me, Jesus says to him in this situation, no. Don't follow me. I want you to go home, uh, to go home, to be with your family, with your community, with your town. Um, so Jesus said, I don't want your shame and your stigma to marginalize you any further. I want you to be intimately connected to your community again. I want you to be restored to your life. And of course, the man goes and proclaims throughout the whole town what Jesus has done for him. What a beautiful, wonderful uh, example of, of uh, Christ healing our stigma and shame. Uh, just like, you know, the, the woman caught in adultery, uh, bringing this uh, resolution for us uh, to, to uh, bring us from humiliation to humility to, so that we can be reflecting the splendor of God, as uh, St. John Paul II said. Uh, we can actively work on our recovery. So 
yes, uh, Christ does the healing for us. The Holy Spirit comes to us. We receive grace in order to become redeemed and sanctified, yes. Uh, but we need to do our part to cooperate with that. We need to actively work on our recovery with faith. We need to not be discouraged and say, I've tried to quit so many times. I've tried to fight this depression so many times. I've tried to change my marriage relationship so many times. But we need to keep working on it uh, with God's help and the help of others. Uh, we can move from humiliation to humility. We actively work on our recovery with faith with hope, because Jesus can restore us, the God that loves us, uh, trusting him, and, uh, and and to be strong, to, to uh, not be weak anymore, uh, but to be uh, set free. Um, so I hope this, uh, this little topic, this little conversation about uh, stigma and shame have been helpful for you, that they may give you some things to think about. Um, on our Grazia Plena website, uh, we have a list of resources. Uh, quite a few of them have to do with uh, working on chastity issues uh, because so many people come to us struggling with pornography, infidelity, uh, men and women, young and old, uh, so that we have a good outline of uh, books and, and articles and resources and so forth. Uh, on our website, graziaplanacounseling.org, um, slash resources, and you can look at those resources at the top of the list. It's got some special things for COVID resources, and then underneath, you'll see the um, uh, the list for uh, resources for chastity, which are particularly important. Um, each week, we always close in prayer as well, and so I think you know this prayer probably um, many of you, and so we can recite it together in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. Michael, the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the divine power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who roam throughout the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, now, our next episode, which will be next week, um, I had I had originally said in the video that we would skip a week, um, but because of the technical difficulties, uh, we kind of skipped last week. Um, and so uh, here is the video uh, this time, and next episode is going to focus on this topic, um, what to do when family and friends are not in recovery. Because uh, I get that question a lot. You know, they say, my mother is having problems and she won't see a counselor. What do I do with her? Uh, my friend has got a terrible addiction, you know, to, uh, to, to pills. How can I help my friend? And so um, uh, sometimes we might be in recovery ourselves. So you know, maybe I'm working on, on my pornography addiction, but I've got my best friend, Buddy, uh, who's continuing to act out on pornography, uh, and he's sending me pictures, you know, and websites and stuff. So what do I do? Because I'm working my recovery. My friend or my family member is not in recovery. How do I manage that situation? Very challenging. We'll talk about that, give you some good tips next time. Uh, this podcast, these uh, videos are free. We may make them free to the public. 
Uh, we don't require any paid subscriptions, so we want everyone to benefit for them if, from them if they like. Um, but on our website, graziaplanacounseling.org, we do have uh, a donations payments page that you're welcome to, to chip in 5 or $10 to help us uh, continue in our ministry. Grazia Plana is an official 501c3 faith-based nonprofit charity, um, and so your donations may be uh, tax-deductible according to the laws. Um, graziaplanacounseling.org slash e giving, e-giving, or just look for that uh, donate uh, at the top of the website in the blue banner. So thank you for being with us today. I hope you've enjoyed this presentation on stigma and shame, that it's given you some, uh, some things to think about in terms of breaking free uh, from stigma and shame, no matter what issues you may be struggling with. Uh, so I hope it's blessed you and giving you some something to reflect on. Uh, we'll catch up with you next week for the next topic. Take care. God bless you. Bye now.